Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Um, We are uh, in a series. I want to encourage you to grab your notes, your Bible, your journal, however it is you do this space. We are in week two of a series, and we're calling this series, Find Your People, and uh, we are uh, just borrowed the title from Jenny Allen's great book entitled, Find Your People. I want to show you that if you want to do a little more study on the subject. Uh, we take the month of August uh, to talk about relationships and to talk about community. And uh, this is something that we do every year. We've been doing it now in our church, I think, so many years I can't even remember how long we've been doing this because um, it's such an important subject. And uh, when everybody gets to August and we start to turn our attention toward the fall, can you believe I'm saying fall? Can you feel the change in the air? (laughs) Yesterday it was 92. You could almost almost put a shirt on. It was just uh, anyhow. But uh, we use this as a time to talk about uh, relationships and about community. And I have to just tell you, if there was ever a time that I felt like this is something we need to talk about, we need to talk about it right now. And uh, we have been on a journey uh, in the last uh, two and a half years that uh, one writer that I'm doing is, you would expect me to do my homework for this space, and I do do my homework. And uh, one writer that's talking about this current era said that for this current generation, when people are writing about this period of time in our collective history one day, they're going to remark and they're going to call this our generation's World War II. And so there's just so much stuff going on in our culture. And I've been writing these things down and teaching uh, and, and mentoring our teaching team and our younger pastors, some of the things that I'm noticing in our culture. We have record numbers of people confused after isolation and the awkwardness that seems to uh, accompany trying to turn our lives back on. How many of you felt that? We've been in this weird space. Now to t- try to flip everything back on as it felt weird. Um, there is a Uh, a mistrust that is going on in our society right now that is leaching its way into our families and leaching its way into our homes. I meet with lots of families in our church, many of you, and it's not uncommon to hear things like this in our conversation. We are uh, in a period of time in our history, some of you will say, where we are not getting along really well. And the family uh, dinner and the family hour and the family table looks very different because we are so polarized and there's a lot of this going on. And we are seeing some bad models in our culture uh, in terms of how to deal with conflict and how to deal with forgiveness and how to stand with people and love people even when we disagree. We're not doing this well as a culture. And uh, I've been reading a lot about this and a lot about these different times. And in fact, one fascinating read that uh, I've I've plowed through this summer was Andy Stanley's book, Not In It to Win It. 
And it's sort of an interesting expose on this given the church culture that we find ourselves in. And Andy Stanley makes this observation. He says, the pandemic is something that created for us an economic shutdown that led us teetering on financial meltdown while navigating social unrest during an election year. We're winning, everybody. And so this has created kind of a lot of division. And it's, and it's made its way not only into our homes, it kind of makes its way, I think, in soft and maybe not so soft ways, even into this space. And I am learning as a follower of Jesus, and I am learning as a pastor, that uh, what I believe many of us are looking for in a space like this is some stuff, some ideas, some truth, if you will, that we might not find everywhere else. And that's a challenging notion. Because if we're going to look hard at the truth of Jesus, uh, we're all going to experience moments in that journey, right? When we're challenged, every single one of us. And that's where we find ourselves uh, right now. And uh, I'm so glad to be able to finally be here uh, and add my voice to this conversation. If you were with us last week, Pastor Trevor started our series off and he showed us his knife collection. How many of y'all were here last week for that? Uh, Like I said, we always go to worship when we're not here and uh, somewhere else, and I had a couple of moments before a best family came over in North Texas and picked us up. We were going to go to go to worship, and I tuned into Community of Hope. And Trevor is waving swords all over the stage, and I thought, "What happens when I go out of town?" And uh, no, honestly, can we can we just honor our uh, capable associate pastor for what he's been preaching to us? So grateful for him. But um, when Trevor preached last weekend and started our series off, he really um, landed, I thought, in a beautiful way, uh, all of his words around one central idea we asked you to consider. And this is the central idea, that more than any other single thing, it's your chosen community that forms you. Now, some of us have some notion of that. If you grew up in my home, my mom would say things to me like this. And in fact, I named today's message after a English proverb. I'm going to test you on English proverbs in a moment. And uh, she would say to me, I think she would say it now on this side of getting a little older. I think she would use this phrase when she was not pleased with the crowd I was hanging around. Anybody remember doing that? And she would say, I'll just tell you this, Dale, birds of a feather, what? Locked together. A couple years ago, we had a new family move in right next door to our home, which was kind of a big thing for us because in my neighborhood, in the people right around my circle in the neighborhood, we've all been there 20, 25 years. We've been there a long time. And then finally, the family that lived right next door to us, they moved. This other family moved in. I was getting to know them. One day, I was out in the, in the front yard, and, and I was talking to the, the dad in the house, and uh, in, in the family. And then his, his son, this guy pulled up. I didn't know who it was. It was his son. He introduced his son to me and his son got out with a couple of guys. They walked in the house and just out of nowhere, this is what he said to me. He goes, you know, I told my son a long time ago, he said, um, you don't really have to tell me anything about your life. 
Not one single thing. I will know everything I need to know about you by the friends you bring into this house. You don't have to tell me anything. I will read that, and I will know everything I need to know. And one of the things I really want to remind us is this observation that Trev made for us last week, that more than any other single thing, it is, it is our, it is our uh, intentional community, our chosen community that forms us. Here's what I would like to say to everybody, right? We're all undergoing a spiritual transformation. Now, here's the thing. We have a tendency, I believe, to think that that idea of spiritual formation is only for those of us who are religious and uh, who do this kind of thing, right? And I would tell you that's, that's not really true. In fact, one of the books that I try to read every couple of uh, years is a book by Dallas Willard entitled Renovation of the Heart. It's just so profound. And Dallas Willard makes this observation. This is what he says. Spiritual formation is not just for especially religious people. No one escapes. The most hardened criminal as well as the most devout of human beings have had a spiritual formation. They have become a certain kind of person. Here's the thing that I think about that I just want to run in the backdrop of what we're looking at right now is the, in this series is that one day, one day, uh, hopefully way out in the future, but one day uh, people are going to gather around an open grave or in a room like this or maybe around a meal somewhere, and here's what's going to happen. They're going to memorialize you. They're going to talk about you. And they're going to say things about you, and you will not be there to defend yourself. In fact, I have, a, I have a drawer in my desk right now. I can take a picture and show you. And in, in that drawer, I, I think I've mentioned this before, I have, I have a manila envelope, and on the front of the envelope, I've just simply written, when I croak. <laughs> I kid you not. It's all sealed, and it's got things that I want my family to read about me. So I'm trying to get in front of whatever, whatever it is they, they may say. But somebody's going to gather, and they're going to memorialize you. And so we are all undergoing a spiritual formation. C.S. Lewis said it in an even more profound way. He said it this way. We must remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which is, if you saw them now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. We are slowly becoming who we are. And I, I want to give some attention to that, uh, and especially within the backdrop, if you will, of how we think about the community that we have chosen around us and how we are being formed as people. Much of what uh, the, the specialists and the experts write about human life and frankly around human life flourishing, a lot of it is uniquely tied to the people we choose around us. Well, that led me to kind of an interesting 
thought as I was working on this series and breaking it out to our team. I thought about, we're going to be talking to to you guys on all of our campuses about the people that you choose to have around you. And I, I just, one afternoon I was doing some studying and some reading and I thought, I wonder about the community that Jesus first chose around him. And I thought about uh, this, and I want to read to you a passage of Scripture, and I want to get, if you'll allow me this morning, I want to get under the hood of, 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 this, of this little uh, story, this little portion of Scripture, and I want to read to you from Mark's Gospel, and this is Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 13 if you want to look it up in your app, your Bible, or whatever. This is how... Uh, Mark records it. He says this. He says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to talk about that in a moment. They might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority, to drive out demons. So these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boagernes, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So here's what I want to tell you as we begin. Let's put our thinking caps on for a moment. This is Jesus' original small group. These are the people that Jesus um, began his redemptive mission in the world with. And for those of you that are, uh, want to know a little information, I always kind of share this you know, kind of stuff when we, when we think about this idea and we talk about the scripture. This is uh, Mark's gospel. We know historically Mark's gospel is the oldest gospel. It's the first written, maybe AD 55, 65. And uh, really his name actually wasn't Mark. His name was actually John Mark. And uh, most scholars believe, you know, he wasn't a disciple. He wasn't one of the 12, but um, he was discipled by maybe the most popular disciple. Who would that be? Peter. And, um, and so he, and, and many believe that John Mark wrote his gospel after listening to all the sermons that Peter the apostle preached. Wouldn't that have been cool? So, so this is where we get uh, all of this information. And so um, this is where, this is a passage of scripture where the only one really in, in the New Testament where we see the listing of all the twelve. Now, I want, to, I want to ask for a moment of confession. How many of you sometimes, if you read the Bible at all, whenever you come across a list of names, maybe like a genealogy, you skip it? Come on. You ever read in the Old Testament, it gets to the genealogy? Uh, turn it, I'm just going to slide it over. All those names you can't pronounce. I think sometimes we're tempted to do that with this. Unless, of course, we want to know the names for Bible trivia. We want to be able to quote all the all the names, right? These are the, tw- these are the 12. And uh, here's an interesting fact about these 12. Scholars think most of them, 
listen to this, were teenagers, right? So this is the crowd that Jesus is choosing, teenagers. You ever heard what Mark Twain said about teenagers when, when teenagers turn 13, put them in a barrel, seal the barrel up, and feed them through a knot hole? <laughs> and when they turn 16, plug up the knot hole. We don't want Mark Twain working in our student ministry, right? <laughs> but, but, but here's the interesting thing, I think. When we think of the disciples, we tend to think of them in this unified way as though they were all basically sort of cut from the same cloth. We will overgeneralize. Well, most of them are probably fishermen and uneducated men. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. That's not universally true. And when you get up under the hood and you look at Jesus' first ever chosen community, here's what you notice. You notice a lot of dissimilarity. There's a lot that's going on. And, and it would, would lead to a very interesting sort of question in a way. Because what we learn when Mark writes is Mark says that before Jesus chose the 12, he spent an evening fasting and praying about those who he would choose, which leads to some interesting questions. One question would be this, should he have prayed longer? <laughs> Makes you wonder. Because you look at the fabric of, of this group of assembled men, this chosen community, and here's what you find they didn't often get along. One scholar I was reading from says that, do you remember that moment in, in, the, in, the, um, in the Gospels where I think it's Peter and the disciples are asking, hey, Jesus, how, how many times should we forgive people? How many of you all remember that in the scriptures, right? Scholars think that that was actually Peter asking that question about Matthew because he hated Matthew. Uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see the, 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 the new movie that's out around the life of Jesus called The Chosen. How many of you have seen that? There's this powerful moment. In fact, if you go to our, our app, we have loaded for you on the app all of season one. You could just click on it and watch the whole season. But what's interesting about this incredible portrayal is there's this moment where, again, Peter is really wrestling with Matthew, and they're not, they're not really getting along. And, and, G, and finally, Peter asks Jesus, why do we have to have Matthew? He's so different. And Jesus responds and simply says, get used to different and so um, I, I see something here, and I want to point it out. And if we're going to talk about the kind of formed communities that we have around us, I think it would be relevant to take just a hot second, right, and talk about the formed community that Jesus called around him and to consider what was going on there, because I think if we run too fast, which is always a tendency when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to trying to take an ancient text and pull it over into a contemporary context, we, if we're not careful, we can skim it thin and we can move too fast 
And one of the things I notice about what Jesus is doing is something very intentional, very counterintuitive. And quite honestly, it's not really birds of a feather, which remember how we say it, birds of a feather, what? So those are English proverbs. Let me test you on some others. The apple doesn't fall. A picture is worth. Beggars can't. An apple a day. Where there's smoke. Yeah. And when we think about um, birds of a feather, it's exactly the opposite way that I want you to think about it. Jesus was doing something so powerful so counterintuitive, we'd be wise to notice. And it makes me wonder. And so as I've been journaling around some of this stuff, I really have come to the idea of asking some questions. There are three challenge questions that I want to give you this morning. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to either take your app out or take your notes, take your journal out, and I want you to write these down because we're going to talk about them even more in this series, but I want to give you these three. When it comes to the community that you're choosing and your quest for spiritual formation, here's a question I wonder. Is my chosen community different enough? I mean, if we're going to follow the ethic of Jesus, is the the, the intentional community that I'm building around my own life that will have the greatest influence to form me more than anything else. Here's a question I would just ask. Is it really different enough? And when you look at Jesus' community, I see some interesting things here as we look deeper. He was up to something. And I think if we're not careful, we have to resist the gravitational pull to live in a monochromatic relational world where it just all looks the same. You know, um, personal observation. Uh, Over the last two years, uh, I've had a personal journey into this because uh, before the pandemic, if you'll allow me to say this, I think by and large, church was living under the guise of this superficial kind of unity that we all had. And then... When the pandemic happened, all of that unity was pulled back. I was reading an article recently by Warren Buffett, who was writing about finances, and he was referencing the pandemic. And he said, when, he said, when the pandemic happened, it made me think of an observation. He said, my mom used to say all the time, well, when the tide goes out, you can always see who's skinny dipping. Isn't that great? And and he's making that observation about finances. But here's what I want to tell you. I think that's true uh, with our spiritual life. I think it's true with our emotional life. I think it's true in our relational world. And and you, you go with any of those things, and then all of a sudden a challenge comes into the room, and we get to see the stuff we're made of. Across the two years in the pandemic, if I were to be honest with you, I would, I, I would tell you, I managed across the, the, the first year of the pandemic to offend absolutely every single person in our church. And I, I, I made people mad because we closed the church. I made people mad because we opened the church. I made people mad because 
We said wear a mask at first, then I made people mad when I said masks are now optional. And by the end of the year, I had ticked off absolutely everybody. (laughs) I was winning. And when you look at the disciples, one of the things you notice is um, they didn't have all of these other similarities. You know the unifying factor of Jesus' original small group? You know what it was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And so the greatest fabric for any gathered group of people that is going to line up around his mission is that. You know why? Because the ground is always level at the cross. All of us are in need of the grace that Jesus offers to us. And when I look at Jesus' life, it just sort of begs the question for me, is my own community, is it actually different enough? Let me tell you a story. When back in 1995, uh, I left full-time ministry for a year. I did, I did the coursework for a doctoral degree in biblical preaching and Christian church leadership. And if you know some of my history, those of you who've been here a long time, I'd already served two other churches and I went off, I was going to do this doctoral degree and come back and serve a church. And in that experience of being away for a year, God spoke to me very, very vividly and very, very honestly about starting a church, planting a church, doing, start going where I didn't have any gathered people and beginning where we were and pulling together a, a group of people. And one of the things that really that really crystallized that calling in my life. When we were in Kentucky, I visited, I drove over to Cincinnati one Sunday and there was this church making some good waves over in Cincinnati, Vineyard Church in Cincinnati. And I went to Cincy Vineyard and when I walked in there, I was literally blown away by the diversity in the room. And I walked in there and I just saw, I saw this incredible ragtag group of people. I mean, I saw there was this guy, I'll never forget it. I was sitting on this row and here was a guy that, uh, uh, don't judge me, to me looked like a biker. He, was, he had leather, he was all tatted up. He had this long goatee. He was sitting next to this guy that I would say looked like a businessman or an attorney. Next to him was this person, this family that obviously not from uh, America. There was all this stuff going on. I was so drawn to it. I left there, I remember getting in my car in the parking lot, and I said to God, God, if you'll let me be a part of a church like that, I'll give you my life. This This was so compelling to me. And I think it's one of the things that really drove a lot of this. And, and it's interesting to consider that Jesus' chosen community, don't make the mistake in assuming that it was so similar. It was actually very dissimilar. I mean, just the, the most obvious example, you had, you had Simon the Zealot, who we would characterize today as a terrorist against the government. And uh, then we had Matthew the tax collector, uh, who was skimming money from his own people to benefit his pocket in the pockets of Rome. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room to see how they sang songs together? <laughs> Another thing that I think about, not only is my chosen community different enough, am I intentionally participating in a community that is about him? What are you saying there, Pastor? I'm I'm just saying this. Where are you building a community for which the central identifying focus 
is Jesus Christ. This is what I see. One of the things I love about this verse in Mark chapter 3, if you'll notice, and I want to draw your attention to what it says. In Mark chapter 3, it says this, that Jesus you know, prayed all night, and then he chose a group of people so that he could be with them. Do you notice that? It's not like because they wanted to be with him. Do you notice how that's flipped around? So let me just say, if you're here today and you wonder if you belong, you wonder if you could fit in in a place like this, you wonder if you'd be welcome, you have a God revealed in Jesus whose main purpose, one of his main purposes was to create community so that he could be with you. That's powerful to me. I talk to people all the time. I, I don't know if I, would I be welcome in church? I mean, I've, I've lived some life I remember I've shared with you before the guy that said to me, I don't, I don't do organized religion. I said, we don't either. We practice disorganized religion. <laughs> you'll, you'll be welcome here. One sinner showing another sinner where to find bread. This is an important part of what spiritual formation is. And more and more, I am recognizing in my own life that I need to, in a way, reinvent it in my own life over and over and over again. Just keep leaning in, just keep leaning in, just keep leaning in. Because I find a lot of times when I feel distance from God, I'm just telling you my own experience, it's usually not that he's left the scenario, it's usually I've left the scenario. And then lastly, I wanted to say this. Does my community set an example for believers and unbelievers? You know, the key identifier for this ragtag group of dissimilar people that Jesus pulled together? Love. Every time we do communion, I always say this to you every single time. I think every single time I say this. Jesus said, I'm going to start and give to you a new commandment. That there wouldn't be all these weird sacrifices for sins, but Jesus is saying, I will be the one full final sacrifice for sin. And, and, and Jesus said this over and over again. He said, um, and the uni uniting identifier is that we would be a people that learns to love one another. This is it. You guys, here's what I want to tell you. That's the only play we've got. If we try to reach the world and, it's, and it looks like the world, here's what I can tell you. We're doing it wrong. And, and Jesus said our main play is we learn to love one another. And, and so really, I think... Church ought to be this life laboratory where we're learning to love one another here and then we're going out and unleashing it apparently in our parking lot. <laughs> Sometimes when I read the Gospels, I think about maybe the other conversations going on. That's why I love the chosen I, you see these other conversations. It had to take place, right? 
And I just wonder when Jesus was telling the disciples to go and love one another, and he's in the upper room and he's telling all this, I wonder if he just turned it up a wick and got more personal. Do you ever wonder that? Like, like maybe he said, hey, Peter. You know, he just tells the disciples, I want you to go out and love one another. And then, he, and then he turns to Peter and goes, hey, Peter, do you remember when we first met? Peter goes, uh, yes, Lord. And he goes, do you, do you remember that I, I met you on the beach and you'd been out, out all night fishing and you were kind of cursing God, feeling down on the world and down on everything. And, and then I made the fish come into the net. And do you, do you remember that moment when all those fish came in? And rather than be filled with joy, do you remember, do you remember that you kind of hung your head in shame and said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Do you remember that, Peter? Uh, yes, I, I remember that, Lord. I want you to go out and I want you to find people that are filled with shame and I want you to love them like I loved you. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Hey, Nathaniel, do you, do you remember when we first met? Uh, no, not really, Lord. No, 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 remember? Remember when we first met? You, you, weren't you the one who said, hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? And you were dissing my family and my social line. You were dissing my hometown. Do you remember that with, do you remember that, Nathaniel? Uh, not really, Lord, I don't. Oh, come on, Nathaniel. Okay, okay I remember. Hey, and you remember I forgave you and welcomed you? Would you go live a life of forgiveness and hospitality? Hey, Matthew, do you remember when we first met? Yeah, Lord, I'm, I remember. Remember you were, you were skimming money for Rome and putting it in your pocket? Yes, Lord, I remember. Would you go and be gracious and gentle and speak truth with people who are lost and finding their way too? Yes, Lord. How might he have a conversation with you? Tom and Sue and Bill and Ken, Amanda, Dale. Yes, Lord, I remember. Will you go and show love? Yes, Lord. Where does it start? Right here. Right here. Lord, help us. Help us. Forgive us where we fall short. Give us another chance to get it right. That we might be the kinds of people that take the grace that you've extended to us to every other person that we meet too. For we pray in Jesus' name. So the first posture would be this posture. So if you want to pray this prayer, we're all going to do this. You're going to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to fight for something. It's to challenge it's try to force something to happen. But I choose as a follower of Jesus 
a posture of surrender. The scripture says, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So I give you my blessings. I give you my burdens. I give you my past. And I give you this moment. You can take all of me. Here's a second one. Lord, I confess the posture of my life is to take, it's to keep, it's to hoard. But I choose to open my hands and open my life in a spirit of generosity. Freely I have received. And this is the space right now in your heart. You tell him what you need to receive. Some of us need to receive courage. Some of us need peace. Some of us would say, Lord, I'm anxious. I I need peace. Some of us would say, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Some of us would say, Lord, I need hope. Just tell him right now what, what you need. So Lord, you hear our prayers and I pray that you would give us places where what we have received and are receiving from you, we would share. And then the last posture is this. Can we all do this? Lord, I confess posture of my life is to spectate. It's to hold back. It's to judge. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my life to other people across the world across the room when they see me may they see you and the welcome you offer all of us in Jesus name amen go in his peace we'll see you next weekend